on. Good morning, friends. I'm Pastor Brandon. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, this morning, we're concluding our short series on gospel-fueled giving. Uh, next week, we'll be in a couple of different places. Some of us will be at family camp at Hidden Acres. Some of us will be here. For those who are here, Pastor Randy Shile will be preaching from Romans 5. He's kind of our pastor emeritus, if you will. And for those at family camp, uh, Ryan Jonas, one of our outreach partners who serves with the Navigators at uh, the University of Nebraska in Kearney, will be uh, speaking and teaching us on how disciple-making is for everyone. And when we come back in the month of August, we're going to continue that theme through the month of August on disciple-making, specifically how do we make disciples at Stonebridge, not how do we as in like the leaders inside, how do we make disciples at Stonebridge, our shared mission to make disciples for Christ. And then when we get to September, we'll go back to the Gospel of John and uh, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off in John chapter 13. Uh, but for our, our series uh, on giving, we've, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, I've started each week with a bit of a, a caveat or proviso, uh, things like, no, we don't talk about giving every single Sunday at Stonebridge, or no, uh, I don't know what anybody gives, no, we're not in a financial crisis, no, this is not a big fundraiser. I should add this week, no, I am not collecting gift cards for cancer patients either. We had an unfortunate experience this week where somebody impersonated my email and contacted you all trying to scam you out of money in my name and in the church's name. Uh, that was not me. Uh, hopefully you got our warning email shortly uh, after the, the scam emails arrived. But if anybody was taken advantage by that, please let us know. Uh, this whole, I have thoughts about people who do things like that, and I'm asking God to sanctify me as I think about them. Pray for their souls, really. Because of all of the things to do, to take advantage of the kindness and compassion of God's people in the name of Jesus, I pray for their souls, uh, because there will be judgment for that, right? So, but all of that to say, uh, you know, that wasn't us, um, and uh, let us know if that's something that you were impacted by. We're continuing to kind of unpack what exactly happened there. So, but, but my goal in all of those caveats each week, you know, while I hope that it kind of lowers our guard to be able to focus on what God's Word's actually saying about money and about giving, uh, at the same time, we shouldn't, I don't want to communicate the idea that we should be hesitant or embarrassed to talk about money or about giving. Uh, as we've been discussing, how we handle our money is part of following Jesus. If, if following Jesus impacts everything about our lives, surely that impacts what we do with our possessions as well. Now, of course, giving and stewardship is more than what we do with our money. It's, it's how we give our time to the Lord, how we give our energy, our skills and talents and resources and so on. But it's not less than our money. And as just as a matter of reality, it's very hard to try and accomplish anything in this world that doesn't in some way involve money or commerce or trade, right? It, it costs money to run a business. There's overhead, there's payroll, there's marketing. It costs money to run a household. There's rent or mortgage. There's food and utilities and taxes. 
It costs money to run a hospital and help people or to run a, a charity and help people. And it costs money to run a church and, and seek to make Christ known or to be a missionary. We shouldn't be ashamed of that or ignorant of that. In fact, uh, one follow-up to this series that I would commend to you is to consider taking our financial peace class in the fall. Uh, this is a class not, not designed for when you find yourself in financial crisis, okay, now I need to go do this. This is a class designed to just help us think wisely and biblically about the whole interaction with money, not just giving, but spending and budgeting and all of these kinds of things. It's a, it's a really wonderful resource that's going to be happening Wednesday nights starting in September. But when it comes to Christian giving, so far we have considered how giving is worship, how what we do with our money exposes the true master of our hearts. And we've considered giving as grace last week. How when we are gripped by the grace of God in Jesus, that, that overflows into generous, willful, joyful giving. But there's been other questions that we've raised that are kind of still on the table. So when do I give? Or who do I give to? Or how do I allocate my giving among many good uh, causes? Another way to think about that, whenever we're considering giving charitably, we're always asking ourselves a number of questions. First, is it worth it? Is the cause worthy? And who's involved? Do, do we know and can we trust those that we're working with? Is there a need? It's another question we ask. Will my money make a difference? And, and what's the ultimate impact? Am I investing in something that's going to last? And, and those are the questions I want to try and help us explore from the book of Philippians this morning as we think about giving as partnership. Giving as partnership. And the way that we'll work through these verses is simply by considering each of these questions. Is it worth it? A worthy cause? Who's involved? Genuine fellowship. Is there a need? A strategic investment. And what's the ultimate impact? Treasure that lasts. And, and we'll start with a worthy cause, namely advancing the gospel. So if you take time to read through the letter of Philippians, as, as uh, Josh mentioned, there's so much in this book about joy that we see. And as you read through it, you'll notice several times where Paul kind of explains why he's writing this letter to the, ancient, uh, the church in ancient Philippi. Uh, part of it is that he wants to give them an update on his ministry and on the ministries of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, part of it is he wants to address a conflict that's been reported to him between some uh, folks in the church. Part of it is he wants to warn them against some false teachers. But among all of the things, one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi is to say thank you. Thank you for their financial support that they have been uh, giving, for their partnership, as he calls it in chapter 1, verse 5, a partnership of giving and receiving, according to 4.15. So there's this partnership that Paul has with the Philippians. What's the nature of that partnership? What is the common cause that has brought them together in this relationship of giving and receiving? It is nothing less than the advancement of the gospel. You know, for all of the joy that we read about in Philippians, Philippians is so full of joy because it's so full of Jesus and his gospel. 
That's the big idea of this book, this partnership they have in and for the gospel. That's the note Paul starts on in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he closes on that same note in our passage in chapter 415. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, of this gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he starts on that note. He ends on that note. And as you might guess, in between, he continues to hit that note of partnership in the gospel. 112. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, this imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. Or 127. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come or remain absent, I may hear that you're standing firm, striving in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, so the Philippians and Paul, they're partners in the gospel. Their lives have been changed by Christ, and they're partners for the gospel, for its advance, for the cause of Christ. And that, friends, is a worthy cause. Our first question, is the cause worthy? There's no greater cause than the cause of Christ because there's no greater treasure than knowing Christ. There are many great causes in this world, many good uh, causes, things worth fighting for, fighting poverty, improving literacy, and protecting the environment, finding a cure for cancer, clean drinking water, racial reconciliation, fair wages, disaster relief, protecting the unborn. There are many great causes in this world, and those are all excellent, worthy causes, but there is no cause so worthy as the cause of Christ. And I want to think about that for a moment, the supremacy of the gospel and the cause of Christ. Why is that so great above every other cause we might consider. First, because Jesus is the only treasure that truly satisfies. When you think about all that we might look to and enjoy in life, you know, clean water is a gift, but you will be thirsty again. Right? Equal pay is important, but money will let you down. We were made, because we were made in God's image, we were designed to know him, to love him, to enjoy him for eternity. There is, as it's often called, there is a God-shaped hole in every single human being that can only be filled by a relationship with our creator. As St. Augustine put it, you made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We were made to know Jesus, and only Jesus can satisfy us at that deepest level of our soul. He's the only treasure that truly satisfies. Second, not only does he uniquely satisfy, Jesus is the only treasure that actually lasts. He's the only treasure that lasts. Everything we enjoy in life, everything we depend on and look to for security or identity, it will all go the way of the earth at some point, right? Your 401k, your dream house, 
your favorite jeans that you love, right? As much as you love them and as good as you look in them, they will wear out, right? Nothing of this earth lasts. Only Jesus. Jesus does. And not just Jesus, but our souls as well. The human soul as well, either in the presence of God for eternity or away from him. And Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. The only one who can change our status in eternity. Because he's the only one who, who stepped into this earth to take our place, to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins and reconciled with our God. To have an eternal relationship with him through faith in Christ. Jesus is the only treasure that lasts. But then third, not only is he uniquely satisfying and uniquely eternal, and this is important, Jesus also supplies the motivation and meaning behind all other good causes on earth. Everything that all of these great causes that we, we want to and should be giving ourselves to they all ultimately flow from the greatest cause, which is the gospel. The reason we care about clean water is because people were made in God's image and are worthy of care and basic necessities. The reason we care about fair wages is because God is a God of justice, of doing what is right, and he will bring to account those who withhold fair pay from their labors. Just read James 5, right? And, and so, Every truly good and meaningful cause on earth is but an echo of and a signpost toward the greatest cause, which is Jesus and his gospel. And every great, truly good cause on earth will find its fulfillment one day when our Lord returns to make everything new. That is the greatest investment we can make. So is the cause of Christ worthy? That's our first question. We, is the cause worthy, this partnership? Well, Paul found it beyond worthy. The Apostle Paul was willing to lose everything else in order to gain Christ. It's like the, the, the parable of the of the field with the hidden treasure, of the pearl with greatest, uh, of greatest price. Paul says this in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There are many, all sorts of good causes to give to, and we should give to many of them. And there's no chapter and verse that tells you how to allocate your giving among different causes, right? But based on the worthiness of the cause and the duration of the fruit that it bears, it makes sense that Christians should prioritize giving to the cause of the gospel and to those committed to its advance, namely the local church, which is the bride of Christ sent into the world for the cause of Christ and its extended mission as we send people out to make Christ known. That is a worthy, supremely worthy cause 
So, so giving us partnership, we start by asking, is it worthy? But second, the second question, we just naturally do this whether we think about it or not. The second question we ask is, who's involved? Who am I actually giving to? Who are we partnering with? And that, that brings us to our second category, genuine fellowship. Genuine fellowship, both concern and contentment. So the worthiness is essential, but so is knowing and trusting the people that we work with in that cause. Giving is not, giving as partnership is not just writing a check. Like sometimes it feels like that, and, and sometimes maybe we treat it like that, but that's not at all the kind of relationship you see unfolding in the letter of Philippians. In, in, in this letter, Paul praises God not just for the gift he receives, but for the people who are giving it and the fellowship that he has with them in their common cause. In fact, the word that's translated partnership in, in most of our Bibles is the word that's often translated or more normally translated fellowship. It's koinonia. And, and when we think of fellowship as a church, we often think of it in primarily uh, social categories, you know, hanging out, enjoying time with one another. And it's not less than that. But, but biblical fellowship is often more than that. It is this sense of partnership in a common cause. The word in the ancient world, uh, the, the same word was often used to, as one commentator notes it, uh, to describe business partnerships in the ancient world. All those involved would share in doing the work on the one hand and in the financial responsibilities on the other. So they're, we're not just having coffee and cookies together. We are on a mission together for the cause of Christ. And you can see that kind of genuine relationship and mutual concern in the way that Paul interacts with this church in this letter. You know, we, we see it in Paul's heart for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers or partners, fellowshippers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Through their gift, it's like they were in jail with Paul. That, that was the level, the nature of connection they had. And, and, and they were out there sharing the gospel with him. And, and you see that also in their concern for him at the end of, of the book in chapter 4, verse 10. I, re, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. But now they have this opportunity, which in verse 14, he says, It was kind of you to share or partner or fellowship with me in my trouble. They are taking the opportunity to express their concern through this mutual relationship that they have, this genuine fellowship in Christ. And, and that genuine fellowship is critical, to know and love one another. They are, this is not just paying the bills. It's not just running a business. This is a, a fellowship of, of, it's like the fellowship of the ring. That's, that's the way you want to use that word there. There's a mission together, right? And, and critical to safeguarding that fellowship was the fact that Paul was content in Jesus and not dependent on their gift. And he, and he makes a, a big deal of that in our passage. You know, he, he expresses this joy. He says, thank you, but then he pretty much distances himself from the, from the gift a little bit. He assures them that the joy he's expressing has nothing to do with his needs being met. 
That's not why he's happy about their money. He says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And again in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Paul's not excited about their partnership because he really needs the money. In fact, he says in verses 11 to 12, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. I am in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is not about getting the money. And, and, and what is, what's Paul's secret of contentment? Well, that's what he tells us in verse 13, that often misused verse that we kind of used to, you know, in all sorts of fun ways. But here's the point of it here. Jesus is enough for him. He doesn't need, he can be content in anything God calls him to because it is, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Jesus is enough and Jesus is that ultimate provider. As he says in verse 19, my God will supply all of your needs, every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So Paul's aim in giving is not really about the money itself, but it's about the bond of love and the joy of partnership and the spiritual benefit that those who, who give will receive. If you look again at verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's more interested in the spiritual benefit that the Philippian church will receive by participating in that gospel ministry through their giving than with what he's going to be able to accomplish with their cash, right? He knows that they're going to be blessed even in the giving. And that, that communion and that contentment, that genuine relationship and that anchored contentment in Christ, those are critical to safeguarding this partnership. Because if at any point they get the sense that Paul's not really interested in them, or, or in the cause, just in their cash, that's a big red flag. And it ought to be. And, and the same is true for us today as we work this out in the context of a local church, our partnership in the gospel as a local church. Genuine relationship in Christ matters. We're not just running a business here. We're a family in Christ. And contentment in Christ matters. If we're more excited about the money and the budget, we're doing something wrong, right? That's one of the reasons we're a congregational church. We, we, we come together. It's, it's not the leader's budget or, or the elders or the staff's budget. It's our collective budget because it's our collective ministry. It's our collective calling to make disciples. We all share both in in, in the provision for it and the execution of it. We get to see the blessing of trusting God in his work. It's also one of the reasons that we have qualifications for leaders. You know, the New Testament lays out qualifications for leaders in a church context uh, because if we're going to safeguard that contentment, that's important. And, and among those qualifications that you might read about in 1 Timothy 3 or in Titus 1, uh, among them are things like not lovers of money. That is an important qualification for a leader. Or not greedy for dishonest gain. There's another one. And, and, and that we take that seriously. We want leaders who have a contentment that comes from Christ and not stuff. 
And, and for the same reason, our, our outreach team partners, they do a lot of work to keep us updated and informed uh, with the missionaries and the organizations that we support, because that also is a partnership in the gospel. They're our partners. That's what we call them. We want to know them. It's not just writing a check. We want genuine relationship with them. We want to know who are the people we're supporting, who are the ones we're sending out on our behalf to make Jesus known. That's why every week you've got in your program one of our outreach partners that's being highlighted. That's why we pray for them every week. We want to know who they are, to be able to pray for them, care for them, come alongside. It's why we have uh, a little brochure, shameless plug here, in, in the lobby about our outreach partners. Do you know who they are? Like, this is great. Look at this. All of their faces and what they do so that you can be informed and praying for them. It's not just this vague person out there that I guess some of our budget maybe goes to. No, it's, it, these are people serving the gospel on our behalf. We want to know them, pray for them, walk with them. And if we ever get to the point as a church where we're more interested in raising money or paying bills than walking alongside each person we meet as they take their next step with Jesus, if we ever find ourselves using people instead of loving people, or if we're more concerned for gaining capital than seeing lives changed, then we need to stop what we're doing and rethink our lives and our existence as a church. That is not what Christ calls us to. The cause of Christ is so much greater and more beautiful, and that cause invites us into a genuine fellowship in the Lord. And part of that fellowship is giving and receiving. So is the cause worthy? Who are we partnering with? The third question, is there a need? Is there a need? When it comes to giving as partnership, will my money make a difference? That's our third question. And so our third point is strategic investment. Strategic, strategic, strategery, something, strategic investment, giving that makes a difference. When you give to a cause, you want to know, is it worth it? Is, is, is it being handled wisely and well? Will it make a difference? Will it be well used? That's why, you know, with all of the charities that exist today, you have things like Charity Navigator that go in and kind of like help you understand, is this a trustworthy organization or not? It's why Christians have something called the, uh, the ECFA, the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, uh, which is not to be confused with our denomination, the EFCA, Evangelical Free Church of America. Those two get confused a lot. But we want to know that our money's making a real difference, that it's meeting important needs. It's not just lining the pockets of administrators and executives. And, and in that same way, Paul wanted to encourage the Philippians that their financial support really did make a difference. He, while he wasn't seeking the gift itself, that doesn't mean the gift wasn't useful or necessary for accomplishing his ministry. It made every difference in the world. It, it wasn't necessary for his joy or contentment, but it was sure helpful for getting the work done. Generous support from churches like the ones in the one in Philippi as part of what freed Paul to be able to focus on his gospel ministry. You know, if you look at the book of Acts, early in Paul's ministry, 
Uh, he was what we would call today a bivocational uh, minister, meaning he had a day job that paid the bills, and in his free time, he preached the gospel. But as, as churches like the ones in Philippi came along and, and started supporting his work, that freed him to be occupied with the word, as he puts it in Acts, 15, Acts 18, uh, rather than with paying bills. And, and he kind of describes that impact in our passage in verses 14 to 18. He tells the Philippians, you yourselves know that in, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you, that you sent. Their gift was making a real difference. It was being translated into gospel ministry and through that into changed lives. And so it's important for us as a local church to have that same kind of transparency and accountability in our giving, to to know what's actually happening with it, and, and to be accountable to using it for those, those purposes. Uh, we want to be as transparent as possible because accountability matters. Uh, that's why, again, we have a, a congregational system where every member weighs in on the budget and approves it. And, and why we have a treasurer, in case you're not sure how all of that works in a local church setting or at Stonebridge, we have a treasurer who, who supplies a detailed treasurer's report uh, that, that the congregation has access to. You can see how the money's being spent. We want that kind of transparency. No funny business, right? Um, and we want to be strategic. We want to, to use that money wisely for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, again, that's why we all weigh in on the budget. That's why uh, every budget season, which is sometime in the early spring, the elders, the, the, the treasurer, the staff all spend hours and hours prayerfully planning on the best way to use the finances that the Lord supplies, weighing different opportunities, different needs, all within that framework of walking alongside each person we meet as they take their next step with Christ. We want to be wise in how we do that. And if you're really curious, you can actually, I think there's still some annual reports in the lobby. You can grab that and see like how that all breaks down. But, but some of that's going to be, uh, some of that giving is going to go towards keeping this facility functional, right? We, we have a space the Lord has given us. We want it to be useful for gospel ministry. Some of that giving goes to supporting specific ministries within the church, our curriculum, or events, or our training, or, or, or different ministry opportunities. We give 10% of our general budget outside of the church. So we support other missionaries, other partners, organizations who are also doing gospel work. And the largest portion of our budget goes towards salaries, to freeing up our equipping and our support staff for the work of the gospel, whether that's word ministry or supporting that work. And I'll, I'll say this, I want, I'm biased, okay, I'm biased, but God has blessed us with a gifted and godly staff team. These people love you, and they do an incredible job helping all of us be able to carry out our mission to make Christ known, to walk alongside others. We are very gifted, uh, blessed with our gifted team. 
But, but when we give as partnership, we want to know, is our giving actually making a difference? Is it bearing fruit in the gospel, in gospel witness, and in gospel faithfulness? But then our last question, the question we ask as we're weighing our giving, what's the ultimate impact? What's the ultimate impact? Am I investing in something that will last or not? And that brings us to a our fourth point, and really kind of brings our whole uh, sermon series full circle here, treasure that lasts, which is ultimately the glory of God. That's, that's the greatest treasure. So if you look again at verse 18, verse 18, Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then look at how he describes their gifts. A fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice to whom the Philippians are actually giving. Not to Paul, but to God. Their giving is an act of worship. Paul uses the imagery of the Old Testament sacrifices to describe the gifts that the, that the Philippians sent him. And if you consider, you know, the parallel here from Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. These are the Old Testament sacrifices here. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He'll bring it to the entrance to, of the tent of meeting that it may be accepted before the Lord. He'll lay his hand on it and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's where Paul's getting his vocabulary to describe giving to the Lord's work. It's this aroma to the Lord. It's an act of worship. Their investment in the cause of the gospel, their partnership with Paul, is an act of worship to God. It's a sacrifice, not to atone for sin. Christ already took care of that but to acknowledge the worthiness of God and to celebrate and, and recognize him. And, and this is how he concludes the whole section here in verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The whole thing he's talking about is ultimately aimed at the glory of God, at his worthiness and praise. The aim of Christian giving is the advance of the gospel to the glory of God. That's what all of this is about. That's the ultimate impact of the Philippians giving. They are, they're recognizing God's worthiness. They're surrendering themselves before his beauty. They're sacrificing themselves for his worthy renown. Or, you know, to go back to Matthew 6 where we started a couple of weeks, they are laying up treasure in heaven. They are investing where no, nothing on earth can, can either rob it or, or decay it. It is an eternally secure investment, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And here's, here's what's cool about this. Not only is God getting glory when the gospel that Paul preaches results in a changed life. I mean, that's, that's a big aim. Like, that's the whole mission, right? We want Paul to be freed up for the gospel. He's preaching. People are coming to Jesus. God gets glory in that. But he also gets glory in the very act of giving itself. So it doesn't, it's not just the results of the giving, but the giving is worship to God. 
It's this recognition that Jesus is worth everything. The true value of our giving is not measured by visible results on earth, but by the worthiness of the one to whom we give. And that's important to remember because when you are following Jesus and seeking to make disciples, there are seasons that are really dry and difficult. Seasons that you just feel like you're going through the motions and the Lord doesn't seem to be showing up. And here's the thing, God's still worthy even in those dry seasons. The, we, we, need to, we need to pray. We need to work hard to make disciples. We need to pray. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to lay down our lives in, in loving sacrifice. We need to think strategically about our use of resources and make corrections wherever necessary. But at the end of the day, the results of gospel ministry are in God's hands. We have to keep that in mind. And that even when we don't see the results we want, God's still worthy of the gift. The cause of the gospel is still supremely worthy. And here's the best part. He will get the glory he deserves. The mission of the gospel will be eternally and universally effective. We see it in in Philippians chapter 2. There is a day that will come when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, either grudgingly or gladly. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The mission will be successful. So the aim of our Christian giving is the advance of the gospel to the glory of God. In Jesus, we have a worthy cause. We have a genuine fellowship. We have a chance to make a strategic investment all for the unending glory of God. And that, brothers and sisters, that is a partnership worth investing in. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we confess you are worthy above all things. And Lord, we we pray that our lives would match your worthiness, not just in what we do with our money. How we think of you, how we speak of you, how we carry ourselves, how we go about serving you day in and day out in our work, in our homes, at school. Lord, would we be followers of Christ in every realm because you are uniquely worthy, uniquely satisfying, and uniquely eternal. So, Lord, may we be a people who give first and foremost to you for the sake of Christ, knowing there is no greater treasure on earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.